Live by faith. May your faith truly be a dependence lived on your God. May our worship be lit up as we celebrate the God who is not keeping himself secret, but he's making himself clear. Well, it is great to be here again and continuing on in this series. As Pastor Tim just mentioned, we are uh, getting towards the end of this series, and it's been awesome to see um, character after character of Old Testament history of God at work and their faith exhibited and the lessons that we've been able to learn. Last week, Pastor Glenn uh, did the message from Joshua chapter 1, and we saw the transition from Moses to Joshua as he was going to lead the nation of Israel. And uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 17 uh, today. And so you can just uh, find that, put your finger in that spot. We will get there in just a moment. But uh, we uh, probably need to give a little bit of a recap and, and fill in what we've missed from the last episode, if you know what I'm saying here. So... Joshua is leading Israel into the promised land, into the land of, of Israel there that we know today. And that's where we left things off. As they did and were victorious in conquering that land and establishing their kingdom, that kingdom there, uh, over time and through the period of judges, then the nation cries out and says, we want a king. And God says, well, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a, a, a man to be king. And, and so God, while not his intent, but yet said, okay, if that's what you want, there's a lot of downside to that, but here you go. And we see that Saul was appointed as the first king of Israel. And uh, Saul uh, was rather reluctant when he stepped up, we see in, in Scripture. Uh, Saul was a bigger guy. It says he was head and shoulders above all of the rest, and he fit the description they were looking for. He started out all right. But then over time, we see his disobedience and not following what God intended and, and several different occasions that finally led to God saying, enough, we will not continue that kingly line through the line of Saul. I'm going I'm to appoint a new king and a new line. And it says at that point that, that God actually removed his spirit from Saul and Saul was never the same after that. And so then God then challenges and directs the prophet Samuel, who then goes out looking for who will be the next king. And God directs him to the house of Jesse. And Jesse is there and greets the prophet who's coming to anoint the next king. And he says, bring out your sons here. And he brings out the seven sons of Jesse from Eliab on down. And they, man, this first one looks great, and Samuel thinks that's, nope, that's not the one, nope, that's not the one. And they go down the line through the seven brothers there, and God says, no, no, no. And Samuel finally turns to Jesse and says, is, is this all? And they said, well, we got our youngest one, David. He's out tending the sheep. You, you don't want him though, right? So bring him out here. And God says, that's the one. And God makes a powerful statement at that point. He says, look, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And so we see at that point, actually, it says that the Spirit of God was upon David from that point forward. 
Fast forward just a little bit. As I said, Saul's not doing well. It says that there are uh, um, harmful spirits that are plaguing him. And he's just almost kind of losing his mind a little bit. And the people around him say he needs some like calming music or something. And one guy speaks up and says, I know this, this kid that plays the harp. He's phenomenal. Let's bring him in. And they call and it's David. And David actually comes and starts to play the harp for King Saul to soothe him at that time. And over a little period of time, he also then becomes one of Saul's armor bearers, a little bit more prestigious position there. And so sometimes David is in the, uh, in the palace with, with Saul, and then sometimes he's back tending sheep for his father. And so that's where he's kind of at there as we then start chapter 20, I'm sorry, chapter 17. Okay, so chapter 17, we're, we're going to keep recapping a little bit more. We're going to start in verse 31. But in chapter 17, it starts off with saying that there's another battle with the Philistines. The Philistines were down in there and were kind of moving, trying to take over that land of Israel. And so there had, had had multiple battles and war that's been going on with the Philistines. And this is one more encounter that we see that's taking place in the Valley of Elah. And so we see that that's going on. We see that uh, Israel's on one side of this valley. And we see that uh, the Philistines are on the other side of this valley. And they've been there for a little while to the point that Jesse goes and, and has uh, David come and says, Hey, I want you to take some supplies and some provisions up to your brothers. There were three of the older brothers were actually fighting with Saul. And so, so Jesse loads up David with provisions. And at that point in time, they had to kind of provide their own MREs for, for the food and things there. And so he says, I want you to take off in the morning and go take them provisions. And here's a little something. Here's a box of donuts for their commander. Okay, it was cheeses, but in this day, we're bringing them donuts, I'm sure. And so David goes and he drops off those provisions for his three oldest brothers. And, and he kind of runs up to the front there to greet them, to see how things are going. And there wasn't any fighting going on. And about the time he gets to the front with his brothers, all of a sudden, he hears down in the valley the champion of the Philistines that comes out and is just belting out a challenge and taunting here. And his name, is, as most of you probably have guessed, is Goliath. Goliath from the city of Gath of the Philistines. Now, Goliath was an unbelievable physical specimen here. It says he was nine feet, nine inches. Now, I was trying to get a good visual here. I asked uh, Greg here, our production director, do we have anything? You look at the bottom of the screen. Okay, that's about eight feet. And I'm moving back here slowly here, camera guys. But you see the comparison. That's eight feet. Go up about two feet up on that screen. And that's about how big Goliath was. So just this unbelievable large man who comes out. And the challenge was send out your champion and we'll do battle. And the two of us will just fight it out. And the winner takes all. And the losers will then surrender. And so he's just belting out this challenge. And it says that this had been going on for 40 days. 40 days they'd been camped out. 40 days he'd come out and made the challenge. 40 days Israel was trembling in fear and no one would take that challenge. Well, David hears this and, and he's like, what, what is going on with this? 
David says, who is this guy that he defies the living God? And so David's asking around, who is this? And they, they explain this is Goliath. And, and they also tell him, they say, look, the, the person that will go out and challenge Goliath and defeat him, the king says he will make them, he'll give them wealth. He will give him his daughter in marriage. And he will give their family an exemption from all taxes. Now, I don't know. I don't know if this is kind of a, a progressive thing that was going on there or what. <laughs> no taxes? No way. I don't know. But that, that had been gone out. But no one would accept that challenge of the Israelites. And so David says, who is this? I, I can't believe what is going on here. Well, Eliab, David's oldest brother, standing there, and he hears David making these statements, and he, he's like, who are you? Be quiet. Go back and tend the sheep. You are such a little prideful, arrogant guy. And, and David, of course, like every little brother says, what? And that's where we pick up the story. Okay, now we're at verse 31 of chapter 17. We see the stage is set. Point number one, if you're taking notes here, it's the first battle cry. Focus on the problem solver, not the problem. Focus on the problem solver, not the problem. It says, and when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And so David here in questioning and saying, come on, who is this guy? Someone, we need to go fight this guy. Word gets back to the king. And so he calls David into his presence. A couple things to, to mention, first of all, you can only imagine the atmosphere of fear that must have been taking on. That when some kid comes on the scene and starts saying, making declarative statements, that it gets back to the king and he calls him to the... I mean, how much panic and fear was going on in there? The second thing that we see here from, from what I told you and as we jump into this is, is the fact that, that, that David... Is, more, is not concerned about the money or, or picking up a wife or, or getting out of taxes. He's concerned about God's fame. He's concerned about the reputation of God at this time, and we see this. He was concerned because they were defying the army of the living God. And we're going to see that mentioned several times as we continue in this chapter. The, other thing, the next thing I see is that David was quick, man, to volunteer. There wasn't a lot of deliberation. There wasn't a lot of going back and um, he didn't stop to make his pro-con list to see the advantages and disadvantages. He steps up and says, all right, I'll go do it. And so we may say that that might be foolish. It might be arrogant, or it might be confident in knowing who his God is. But they continue, and Saul said to David, 
Are you not, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. It says, Saul said, you're not going out there. You're just a kid. Now, I did a lot of research, and we tried to figure out David becomes king when he's 30 years old and trying to backpedal, and his three older brothers, you had to be 20 to be in the army. And and we see that the older brothers were were there and serving with Saul. And and by best guess, and, and this is an estimation, he was somewhere between 15 and 19 years of age. So he was basically high school, maybe freshman in college type of an age here. There's enough that he could have been physically developing and, 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 and coming about, but, but clearly, and when everyone saw him, they, they saw he was, just a, he was still just a kid, though. And, and, and so Saul says, yeah, there's, that's not, you're, you're, just, you're just a kid. You can't go fight this giant of a man. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb from the flock, and I went after and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck and killed him. Your servant has struck both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So he goes and he says, look, you don't understand. I actually do have some experience here. I used to tend sheep and a lion would come out and take the sheep away and I would chase it down and kill that lion and bring the sheep back. And a bear comes out and I would kill that bear. And then he uses it in the plural. There have been lions, there have been bears. I'm, I'm thinking, man, you need to find a new pasture where your sheep are at, but I don't know. But he says over and over, and God's been, been, has delivered me from that. And this Philistine, he's a little bigger, but he's going to be just like the bear and the lion. We got this. My God has this. He has defied the living God. And so we see David's confidence wasn't in his ability. David's confidence was in his God. And all God's people said, amen. Our confidence is not to be in our ability. Our confidence is to be in our God. And it's great. I like that you see this all throughout. You see that balance that, that man, David is a, is a man of action. He's a young man of action at this point, but, but, but he, he does do great things. And the whole time he just keeps saying, but it's God, but it's God, but it's God. And so you see this balance of do, but it's God that's doing through me. There's skill, but it's God. There's training, but it's God. There's experience, but it's God at work in me. And he'll be faithful. And then the end of verse 37. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. That, I think, is the most amazing part of this story. Everybody say amazing. Amazing. I agree with you. (laughs) So the king of Israel 
with all of his mighty men, all of his fighters that he's got here, says, okay, let's send the kid out. Unbelievable in my mind. But yet, I, all, I can, all I can chalk it up to is saying that clearly it must have been evident God at work in David. And so he says, all right, go. He says, but first, here. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put his helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go out, for he had not tested them. And then David said, I cannot go out with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. So Saul says, all right, all right. If you're going to go out and fight the giant here, you got to look like a warrior here. So bring out my armor, bring out my sword, and let's load him up. And so he, he puts on his helmet. He puts on his chain mail and all the protection that man can provide and the best of, because this was the king's here. And, and he puts this on. Now remember, it said Saul was, what, head and shoulders above the rest. And David, well, I'm sure is a pretty fit guy, even at that age, is still a younger guy and Still going to fill out some more. And so he puts this stuff on. It says then he straps that sword on there. And he's doing this number. Come on. Everybody that's had a little boy there that puts on dad's clothes. You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's just like, this is not going to work over and over. He says, look, I, I have never tested this. I haven't done anything in this to even see that I can move and fight one bit in this. I don't need your protection. Thank you. But no, and he takes it off. It says, and then he took his staff in his hands and he chose five stones from the brook and he put them in the shepherd's pouch, his sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. So it says, then, then he goes down to the brook and I, 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 I pulled up a, a picture here about 13 years ago, my wife and I were in Israel, and uh, this is actually the Valley of Elah, okay? Um, I, I apologize. I, I'm probably standing, like, just right in front of where this probably took place. We're seeing kind of back away. I, I didn't get a good picture here, but you can see on the far left-hand side, that would have been where the Isra Israelite army was at. On, on the right side, you see that little hill there is, is where the, the Philistine army were at. Probably at, at, the, at the widest there, it's about 600 yards maybe in that valley. And actually what you can't see off the picture, it actually kind of almost wraps around a little bit. It's actually kind of closer even where I'm standing here when I took this picture. As, as we were there, one of the most amazing things I, I noticed was just the fact of it just wasn't that big. And so David would have come down there on the far left side, would have gone, and there's this little stream that, that, that was there at the bottom, and they would have come down, and that's where he would have picked up five stones. And so he's got, he had a sling, he, he picks up his stones. He gets one ready and he puts four more in his pouch there. Everybody knows you take extra magazines when you're going into battle, right? And so he's loading up here. I don't know what I'm going to need here. And it says he took his staff. He, he took his, probably would look more like a walking stick to us. So here you see Goliath ready to fight and David with a stick and a stone. 
and a sling. And that's what he heads out here with. So what do we, what do we see here? What, what are some things we can learn? Well, first of all, I'd like to think through here. Here are five things to do in a fight. Five things to do in a fight or in a crisis. When it's really coming to a head here, what, what do I need to do as, as the conflict is starting to ensue? Here's five things to do. Number one, pray. Pray. First thing to do, Lord, I'm going to need some help here. Take it to the Lord. It's, it, it, it's, it, it's crazy how, man, we get caught up in the, in the circumstances and things here. It happened just a little over a month ago. We were moving, closing on houses, leading up and had some things, got some bad news and they hadn't followed through. And all of a sudden that moment of panic, it's not working out. And I'm starting to do that little spiral, right? And, and my wife just <laughs> stood in the middle of the living room and says, well, maybe we should pray about it. Pastor. No, she didn't say that. But... <laughs> She's thinking, I bet. And I'm like, yeah, we probably should. <laughs> Amazing. Just, man, bring God into the situation. Number two, remember past victories. Remember past victories. What did David do? He said, hey, look, this happened, this happened, this happened. This is what God did. He's got it. Number three, list God's promises. What do you know about your God? Kind of goes hand in hand with this is what has happened in the past and this is what God has done and this is what I know about my God. Number four, spiral up. Don't spiral down. So often in the moment of crisis, man, when we're just getting in the thick of the fight, what happens? Well, we start that, that fear spiral, Right? And we start playing the what if game. That's the spiraling down. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if this happens? Oh my goodness. And then what if this happens? And we just keep spiraling down. Instead of doing that, let's start spiraling up and start playing the so what game. So if this happens, so what? This is what I know God can do. And what if this happens? Well, so what of that? This is who my God is and what can happen. And we start going vertically instead of Looking at the horizontal and spiraling down. Spiral up, not spiraling down. And then number five, then go to battle. Trust and act as God directs. As you work through those four things, then it leads you to, okay, I can trust my God. Now I'm ready to take the next step, however God is directing. Trust and act as God directs. A number of years ago, I spent about 10 years uh, in student ministries, and uh, in the mid-90s there, one of the summers, we uh, took a number of uh, our high school students on a wilderness trip down to Missouri. And uh, it was a really cool, it's kind of through an organization, they provided a guide, and it was uh, canoeing, and we were on the river for about a week or so. And uh, just a, a getting out of our element and comfort zones and everything. It's just amazing all that God can do in the midst of that. But on the first day as we were kind of packing up and getting ready to go, we just got down to the river and we're starting to get in the canoes and loaded up all the supplies and things there. And the, the guide, one of the first things he said was, it was wanted to take a swim test. 
Let's just know where everybody's at. We're going to be on the water here for the week and, and just know who's good. And so he, we were right there as we were putting in a little beachy area, and there was a, kind of a cliff front on the, on the far side. And so he says, here's what I want. I want everybody just to kind of up here. I want you to swim across, touch the face of the cliff, and then swim back, and, and let's just see where it's at. Well, I mean, it's a bunch of high schoolers and me. And so we're like, all right, it's a race. It's on, right? And so we all lined up there and where everybody's ready to go. And he says, okay, go. And we start taking off swimming there. Well, we had one of our, uh, we had a couple of youth leaders that were with us. And, and one of uh, the fellows there, a close friend of mine, uh, was not a good swimmer. He could just basically doggy paddle. And, and we knew that. So, so he, he was down on the end, and it's just like, okay, go ahead. Obviously, he wasn't racing in that. So we swam across, and the guys, we touched, and we're, we swam back to the other side. And by the time I got to the other side, I, and I remember even swimming past as I was coming back, and I passed this leader who was going really slow, but doing okay. He, he got to the other side and started to turn back, and, and then I was, by then I was, I was standing in the, at the shore, and, and then I, I heard, you know, the, the, the panic in the voice, Steve, Steve, and, and just that panic, and, and he had already swum a little bit, was getting a little tired, doggy paddling, and not doing well. And, and so now flip into lifeguard mode there, I was also a lifeguard way back when, so I, I, man, I'm swimming out to him, and, and he's in and then all of a sudden, I just said, hey, stand up. And he stands up, and the water was there. <laughs> and literally, big old grin across his face. <laughs> oh, okay. And I, sometimes in the midst of it, we lose the big picture and the circumstances, don't we? We focus just in on the fear and the immediate danger, but we lose sight of the big picture. And we all do it at times. You know, you do not see the big picture if you don't see God in control. Let me say that again. You do not see the big picture if you don't see God in control. Remember that. Whenever you're going through whatever you're going through, if you're not seeing God in control of this situation and God orchestrating something, even if you don't know what it is, if you don't see it, then you're not seeing the big picture. There's more to the story. Just trust God. So let me ask you, what's your problem that's facing you? What's your issue? Where's your fight right now? And what's your focus? What are the circumstances that may be leaving you paralyzed in the moment? Maybe it's time to fight and not panic. Trusting our God. Let's continue here. Battle cry number two. Small me, big God. Battle cry two. Small me, big God. It says, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog 
that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So Goliath comes out, now we see the trash talking. And he comes out here and all of a sudden he sees this kid's coming out to face him. And it says he literally gets disgusted by it. He's insulted by it. This is the best you can do. This is what you think can defeat me is this kid. He says, am I a dog? And he says, not only that, he doesn't even have any weapons on him. He's got a stick. And that's all he would have been able to see at that point. He's coming out here with a stick. What? What are you doing? And then David replies here. And David said to the Philistine, come to me with this with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I do not, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. All right, everybody listen now. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. So David there, he replies and says, look, we're, we're not coming. In. I don't need a sword. I don't need a spear. I don't need a javelin. Because I come and God is the one who's fighting. He says, everybody's going to know, the whole world is going to know this day. By the way, go out on the street and ask people to tell you about David and Goliath. The whole world knows about David and Goliath. And not only that, that this assembly, all of those that are here will know it is God who is fighting because how else could a kid without a sword and spirit defeat this massive giant? It had to be God. You catching it now? You see why the circumstances and why what God may be doing here is so that God will be lifted up and glorified and that in no way was anybody else going to steal the credit. This was God at work. Amen? Amen. And so then he continues. He says in the Philistine, verse 48, And the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed against the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David, and David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Pick up here in a second. So you see it happening. We see they move down into that valley. They're there. So Goliath starts moving towards David. 
And it's interesting because catch the verb in there. And it says, and David did what? He ran towards the giant. And so we see David on the other. And David, man, could you imagine seeing this massive and this little guy? And he just takes off running towards this giant. And as he's running, he pulls out a stone and he puts it in a sling. And he starts whipping that sucker around as he's running full charge at this giant and lets it fly. And it says it sunk into his forehead, dead. Killed him on the spot. And so we see David, not only that man, he then just takes off running over to the. By the way, did you catch it before? Goliath was there. Who else was with him? His armor bearer was, shield bearer was with him too. What happened to that dude? Never a mention here. I mean, I can just imagine. He's like, I am out of here, right? Doesn't say David even killed him. Doesn't say he was around. I didn't say nothing. David then runs over and all of a sudden he gets there. And he, you can just, uh, okay, well, I don't have a sword or anything. So he pulls out the giant sword off with his head, just like what had been promised. Defeats him right there. Now, I can only imagine the echo through the valley, not of the fight, but the echo that would have taken place in the gasp as the Philistine army would have, <gasps> what, what just happened? And I'll be honest with you, I think it was probably equally a gasp at the Israelite army as they went, <gasps> What just happened? The giant's been defeated. And it says, And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharem as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And so we see here that the victory then leads, the victory of David and Goliath and God at work there happens just the way David said it was going to. And the Israel army defeats the Philistines. The Philistines take off running in such a way they didn't even take their, their stuff with them. It was a dead, out, dead on sprint. And the panic ensues there. You know, I was thinking about so much of this. And then, obviously, the last two weeks, the Olympics have been on. And it's been fun to watch the Olympics. And, and my wife and I, most every night, have watched some of the stuff, at least had it on while we were working around the house and things. But we uh, really, especially, followed the track and field. And this past week, the track and field has been going on. It's been neat to see a lot of the races. It's been neat to see the number of different countries that are, they're doing better, that have never won medals before and things like that. But um, 
It was the end of one of the races here, and several of the races that, that we'd watched that evening, we'd seen it, and several of the Jamaicans had won, and I just, I, I mentioned because as they do the post-race interview and talk to him a little bit, um, several of them had said, well, first I want to give God the glory, and, and they told blah, blah, blah. Well, there was one of the, the female sprinters, and she's won previous medals before. She was kind of older by sprinter standards, and I think had been kind of discounted a little bit, and and so she had won, and they were interviewing her, and she says, hey, I just want to give God the glory for what took place. Because she said it, and all of a sudden I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. Let's hear what, what she's going to say, her testimony. And she says, just want to give God the glory. I mean, everybody counted me out, and I've done this, and, and I did this, and I did this, and I overcame this. And no one thought I could do it. I am so proud of myself. And, and my favorite one was the, the, now the interviewer said, well, is there anything that you want everybody to know? Okay, I thought, okay, here it is. What's she going to say? And she said in a Jamaican accent that I can't do. Yes, I want them to know I'm one tough cookie. <laughs> and I laughed. And I thought, though, Man, isn't that what we do so often? God gets the token. Yeah, yeah, I want to give God the glory. And then me, 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 me. And then somehow we kind of make it all about us. We see here David, man, he was not about himself. He was about his God. And it provided such a confidence, a trust, a faith that he could even fight the giant. He knew his God had it. How about you? Where are you at? Who's the hero of your story? Who's the hero of your story? You know, it's said before, we, we you know, I am the, everyone is the hero of their own story. There's a lot of truth to that. But we see actually God is the hero of our story. Are we, do we just give God his token mention and then make it about me? What maybe in my pride do I need to set down? Maybe say, small me, big God. God, you are awesome. You are the one at work. He's using us. We're a part of it. We are partying together so much in what's going on, but it's God working through us, and he's got it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.